While they're heading out, I want to encourage, and I should bring this up more often, I want to encourage us, speaking of Irene and Andrew, they're two of our missionaries that uh, Irene was raised here under the leadership of wonderful pastors that came well before me, wonderful foundation of this church. When we came here, this this actually ties into what I want to preach on today. Turn to Luke 10. But when I came here, there was a wonderful foundation through decades and decades of decades of lifting up our missionaries in prayer and also supporting them financially. And so I look forward to hearing from Irene and Andrew uh, what God's been doing there in their ministry in Spain and North Africa. We got Ginger that's going off on the mission field soon. And really, truly, I have now been here long enough to start to see the fruit. Everybody say fruit. fruit. Isn't fruit wonderful? Yes. It is. I was walking through a really difficult season here a while back, and somebody said something to me that it, it, I hadn't thought of it this way. And what they said to me was, this is a hard season. You're walking through a fire. You're walking through difficulty, and that usually ties in with difficulty in family relationships or church relationships or whatever it is, when you're walking through difficulty, it's hard to see what God is doing. Anybody agree with that? It's really hard to see what he's trying to speak to you. It's really hard to see what he's doing through the fire. But they made this comment to me, and it really impacted me, and it said, what it's keeping you from doing is enjoying the fruit of the ministry that God has called you here to do. I never thought of it that way. We can get so tied up in looking at all the different things and all the different difficulties and different circumstances that God wants us to bear fruit that remains. Amen? And I've had some wonderful... Is it okay if I just talk to you for a minute before we jump into the Word? I've had some really incredible and awesome full circle moments come up over the last five to six months. And really even over this summer... I'm seeing the fruit of the vision that God called my wife Leah and I here to instill in this church. Wonderful, beautiful fruit. Matter of fact, and this this ties into what I want to speak on today out of Luke 10, which of course is the story of the Good Samaritan. And the Lord's been laying on my heart as we move into the fall. And here's what I'm going to do. Uh, This fall, the reason I'm choosing today and the reason I'm going to say this, is I want to always have the foundation of this church is one that understands that we're all just lost. Amen? Amen. We're, we were lost and now we're found and we're just one beggar telling another beggar where we found the bread of heaven. Amen? Amen. So as you've come into this church, you may say, man, I've heard people tell me, you know, I go to church, the ceiling's going to fall, you know, right there in front of me. Can I, can I tell you, if it didn't fall when I walked in the room today, it's not going to fall when you walked in the room today. And the vision that we came here with that ties in with decades and decades and decades of ministry, but very probably maybe unique, is this fall, and I've been talking about the last several weeks about road trip, about the narrow path, the path that God calls us on. And what he's been reminding me, and I've done this many times, but I'm going to continue to do it many more, because we have certain, I I don't want to so much say vision, because the vision is no grow and go. The vision is to know Him intimately. That is eternal life, that we would know Him. Not about Him. 
but that we would know him in such a personal way that it begins to change us from the inside out. You see, religion will work on you. God desires to work in you and through you. And there's a big difference there. So when you come here, I want you to know that we not just have a vision. And some of the vision that God's laying on my heart for the fall is that we would continue. And what the Lord's reminded me is that we are an outreach church. Amen? That is a big part. And the full circle moments that I've encountered over these last few months was taking the kids to youth camp. You know, year after year of just pouring into them and pouring into them. And here's what I want to encourage you. When you're sowing seed, God does not forget that seed. He does not. Very clearly, Paul said in the Word of God that we are like athletes, farmers, and soldiers. So we need to understand that we actually have a a battle that we fight. We're fighting against the forces of darkness. And this fall, I'm going to delve into where culture is now intersecting with the Word of God and how we as a church need to take a strong stand on God's truth. Amen? But I'm talking today about the vision and values and what we value here. I'll tell you what one of our biggest values here at Christian Center Church is the presence of God. Is, is, is coming and worshiping Him. And to see the fruit begin, because we took these kids to youth camp and you, you sow into them, and we have such good leadership. And I know they had to have been encouraged too as I've talked to them and said, man, God just really moved upon this generation and is really doing something very special in them. And, and, and then just a couple weeks later, we sent a team to the mission field. In other words, I'm seeing the fruit because Jesus said very clearly that we are to bear fruit that remains. So there's a legacy part of the calling of God that he places within our hearts. So we not only value worship, we value discipleship. So this fall we're going to make available to you Bible studies that you can get deeply involved in that are going to help you grow. And then nothing would bless my heart more than you, and it doesn't necessarily mean you move to another country or you move to another city or whatever it may be, but if you come to me and you say, man, I feel a real call to go out to Africa, I'm going to encourage you. Amen? Amen. I'm just going to, and you're like, yeah, you're trying to get rid of No, 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 no. <laughs> There's some of you that, yes, you're called to the mission field, Brother Rick. I feel it right now. No. But when we came here, we had a vision because we had values, things that Lee and I valued. And and it's beautiful to see the fruit. And here's what this person told me. I was standing right back there in the hallway. I won't mention his name, but some of you will catch on to who it is. And he stood there and he said, Pastor, here in just a couple more weeks, I've been invited to take an internship at a church. And they want me to help them run a couple areas of ministry, mainly rehab. When this person first came here, they had just come out of the sanctuary right here on Grover Cleveland. And his comment to me back then was that, man, I I don't know if I'll ever be accepted in church. Don't know if anybody will ever really, because of my past, because of all these things that I've done. And he stood there and told me, he said, I've I've seen where you worked on the mission field. I see your wife and I, your, your wife and yours heart for people. And he said, if you guys would not have loved on me like you did when I walked in here, I would not be where I am. And that blesses this pastor's heart. Because when Jesus, I see this all throughout the Word. When you study the Word for a long time, and I have for 26 years, I've, I've studied the Word daily. That's a long time. 
And you move beyond just a superficial reading of it to beginning to notice things that you didn't notice before. How many understand the Word of God is alive? (laughs) It is. It's the only book that you'll open up where the author is there with you while you're reading it. His name's the Holy Spirit. And it says that He teaches us all things. And, And I have probably run more people off from this church because of how I'm going to preach today. Because a lot of people will say to me, Pastor, you you need to just hang people out to dry. You need to just beat them over the head with the sin that they're in and just beat them up. You know what I've learned? I'm not the Holy Spirit. And I've learned the hard way that when I introduce change to somebody and try to pull pull them towards change, it lasts for about a month. But people I've seen get touched with the presence and power of God. It's God that gets all the glory. Amen? And it's true change on the inside. And and part of my heart and what I'm sharing today is simply, I've seen fruit of God working in your lives. And it blesses this pastor's heart more than you could possibly believe. So I just want to take a minute and thank God for His hand upon this church and thank God for His hand upon these teenagers and these kids and everything that He's doing. And as I've studied the Bible for a long, 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 long time, I've begun to understand some things about Jesus that a lot of people don't talk about and a lot of people don't notice. And it's very interesting to me that when Jesus showed up on the scene, He's basically dealing, and He he said this to His people, He said, Beware of the leaven of Herod and the Pharisees. Leaven is something that's very small, almost minuscule, that's put into something and it begins to spread out. Well, Herod was the political system of the day, right? And he was saying, beware of the political system because who you think is in control really isn't in control. Amen? It's the enemy. I'm going to talk about these things over the next few months. Where our faith intersects culture, we need to take a strong stand on what God said. Men need to start being men again. Amen? If you look at the problems around us, I think it's, it, it, well, I don't think I can look at sociological studies and say that the people in prison, 92% of them grew up without fathers in the home. Yes. That doesn't lay a guilt trip on anybody. It's just the importance of us understanding that God created families. He wanted to bless families. So he said, beware of the leaven of, of Herod, but also beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which the leaven of the Pharisees was religion. It was religiosity. I'm going to preach next week, Lord willing, depending on how much time we have as we pray over every single child, right, Leah? Is that what we're doing? She's laughing at me. I'm like, everyone? Individually? That's a great idea, I told her. I had a good dinner that night. The Pharisees, and the reason I say here, what I see in Jesus is, look, and Lee and I talk about this regularly. So as I've instilled our heart for ministry into the body here, I see the fruit of it. Not everybody's joined and gotten on the, on the wagon and gone all the way with us. But I thank you of those who have. Because I'm telling you, there's fruit of salvation. There's fruit of healing. There's fruit of change. And when I, when I look at Jesus, He expertly threaded the needle. I'm going to preach a sermon because Lee and I both heard it probably 20 years ago. I don't remember the scripture. I don't remember exactly what was said. But this pastor got up in a conference we were in and he said this. He said, stay in the middle of the river. 
Lee and I will look at each other pretty often and we'll say, let's stay in the middle of the river. In other words, we have a tendency to get way far off over here. And we have a tendency to get way far off over here. And we're not making an impact in our culture. And Lord willing, next week, I'm going to, for several weeks, I'm going to take the miracles of Jesus and show you who God is. Because I used to just look at the miracles and think, man, that's praise God. God's a miracle worker. God. But then I'm, I'm starting to study and see something behind it more than because it was called signs and wonders that Jesus did. They were signs that pointed to, because everybody had the same question, most everybody you'll come in contact with today as you go out from here. Who is God? And what is life? And when people are asking those questions, a lot of times we give them the religious answer. Instead of understanding that God has simply called us to be servants of everybody we come in contact with. Because you will not run into anybody in your life that God does not love. Amen? Amen. And we tend to make categories. Everybody say categories. categories. Have you, Jesus threaded the needle between two prevailing thoughts of his day, which were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You, you may be in a Bible study here in a few months, and I'm going to tell you something that you'll be able to throw out there and be like, man, that dude knows his word. So just put this file this away right now. Pharisees were those who basically said, if you don't look like us, dress like us, and act like us, then you're over here and you're out. Okay? And the Sadducees did not believe in their sect of religion and was, was prevalent in Jesus' day. They did not believe in everlasting life. They did not believe in eternal life. They didn't believe in the resurrection. So their prevailing thought was eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. And can I tell you what the needle in the middle of the road that we can begin to thread is the, the culture that we're living in is on one of two extremes. Either they look at other people and judge them immediately because we have compartments that we put up. But can I tell you what the Word of God says? It says He has broken down every dividing wall by His precious blood. And the needle that He threaded was Jesus and we're going to talk about this next but Lord, don't let me preach next week's sermon. But the, the, what I'm going to talk about is the miracle of water to wine. Jesus went to a party because somebody said let's put Jesus on the guest list which told me people enjoyed being around Him. Now the difference that that people get caught up in is people will say, well, bless God, I can go out and do whatever I want. Jesus turned water into wine. Get your notebook out and take something down for me. You ain't Jesus. (laughs) All right? Because when Jesus went into a place, it was Him that was impacting the atmosphere that He went into. So part of the vision here is you can be strong enough, amen? You can be close enough to God that you can go into places that are going to bless and impact people. What you have to be careful of is that we're not becoming like the world and the culture that we see. We can stay in the middle of the river. Do you know where I learned how to do ministry? It wasn't on the mission field. It wasn't in Bible school. It wasn't on staff at the church that we moved here from. I learned to do ministry in my neighborhood. I did. And we had about 23, was it 23 houses 
we had had our eye on this neighborhood for a year. No houses available, no houses available, no houses available. We got in the church. We met at the church with the realtor that was in our church, and I was thinking we're going to the other end of town where there was a large neighborhood with starter homes. We couldn't afford a whole lot. We were missionaries. So we were had a very tight budget. When we got in the car, we had left the neighborhood that we loved so much the night before, about 8 o'clock. And we just drove through there just dreaming, right? We're like, well, tomorrow we're going to pick out a house we don't like. These are the houses we do like. Can I tell you, God notices everything. Because yes. we pulled out to the end of that driveway and I said, well, babe, it must not be the Lord's will. You know, tomorrow we're going to probably find a place because we had about 15 houses to look at with this friend of ours who's a realtor. We jump in the car and she made a right turn out of the church that was heading the opposite direction of where I thought we were going. I looked at her, Shelly. Looked at Shelly and I said, why are we, she said, oh, I'm going down Pendarvis Lane, which is right behind the church we worked at. It was about, this area was about, this little neighborhood was about a mile from Leah's mom. Leah's mom was getting older, wanted to try to be close. All those things practically you think of. And as we're driving down the road, I said, well, what neighborhood are you taking us to? She said, well, I thought maybe you'd like to see Hidden Ridge. It's a, a 22, 23 houses, small little neighborhood. We just liked the houses. We knew a couple people in there. And I thought, how in the world, are, what, what happened? She said, oh, about 8.30. 30 minutes after I pulled out of the neighborhood, somebody stuck a sign in the yard because they were signing a contract for the house for sale. I said all that to say the Lord directs our steps. Because it wasn't long after we moved into that neighborhood, I began to learn to do ministry. And, and look, we love to read headlines and get a feel for for who somebody is, and we're a headline culture, aren't we? I'm telling you, we're a headline culture. And the bigger the headline and the bigger the star, some of you are like, Pastor, I'm, I don't pay any attention. I've seen you at Walmart. You are not looking at the Snickers bars. You're looking at the headline that says, Tom Cruise abducted by aliens. And you're like, whoa, whoa, look. Because, listen, we see other people and we read a headline without knowing the details of their lives. We do not know the hurts. We do not know the pains. We do not know the difficulties. We know. So we move in this little neighborhood, and it wasn't long before I began to realize that this is the place God is going. Before I ever stepped foot behind a pulpit as the pastor of a church, I was pastoring my neighborhood. And it used to amaze me. And Lee and I kind of had a dilemma. I mean, we, we, Lee and I, if you knew our lifestyles for decades now, we do not drink. We do not do any of those things. I mean, I, again, I'll preach on that sometime. But we, we lived a very, very moral, holy life. But here's the thing. I didn't lock myself up in my house and say, you all are just a bunch of sinners. And the reason I say that is we would get invited to the parties <laughs> like Jesus did. And, and Leah's like, man, what do we do? What if somebody drives by and sees us at this big drinking party? And I'm just like, Leah, we've been invited because people are having a connection with us. And I said, we're going to go. And we just sat and laughed at all the people, basically. <laughs> we made the best cupcakes, and we went to the party. And listen, I didn't have to have a bunch of drinks to feel comfortable because the Holy Spirit made me comfortable. Now, if your testimony is you came out of a lifestyle of alcoholism, the last place you should find yourself in the first several years after you get saved is a bar room. Don't think, I made that mistake, y'all, I'm strong enough. No, I was not. And look, 
We got invited. We went. And here's what happened in the weeks and months after. Knock on the door. Hey, I'm having trouble with my marriage. Can you guys talk to me? Hey, I'm, I, my, 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 my daughter's sick. Can you guys come by and pray with me? Because if we would have just looked at our neighborhood and read the headlines, then we could have instantly judged what those people were and what they weren't. And none of it was correct. Because we love to put people into categories of in and out, don't we? And listen, there are people that are on the broad way that leads to destruction. And there are people who are on the narrow way that leads to life. What we fail to realize is those two paths are very close together and we are to be the one saying, Hey, I found life. I found forgiveness. I found deliverance. I found one who makes my soul just leap when I hear his name and I am on the path of life. You are on the path of death. And we oftentimes think that if we just have that... The Pharisees did that in their day. If you don't look like us and dress like us and talk like us, then you're out. And what they, what they did was make categories of people that surely those people could never be loved by God. And Jesus threaded the needle of helping them to understand that God came and died for everyone. So everyone you meet, God loves. And if you don't think your doctrines affect your mentality of how you view people. I'm going to teach on doctrine on Wednesday's nights this fall because I'm learning more than ever that doctrine affects how you treat people. If you have a prevailing theological doctrine in your heart and life that, well, bless God. I mean, if, you're, if, if you get excited that people are going to be burned, there's a problem with you. Is it true? Yes. But our hearts should be broken for it. Yes. Did Jesus ever get angry? Somebody help me out. He did? When? When did he get angry? Thank you. When he cleansed the temple. And I've heard people say, bless God, I'd get a whip and I'd... Can I tell you what I said before? You ain't Jesus. And the story leading up to him doing that in the temple is amazing because the first thing he does is he goes to a, a fig tree. And this is representative of Israel. Man, you, your temple looks good. Your leaves look good, but I don't see any fruit. So he cursed the fig tree. And then he goes into mountain-moving faith. For whoever says to this mountain, be thou removed. Because they were amazed that it had, was dead, right? They walked back past it. Man, the, the, the tree that you cursed. And he goes into... But that has to do with miracles. But I think it has more to do with... more to do than just miracles. It has to do with the mountain on the inside of us, of our bad attitudes and our way of thinking about people and the way of viewing people. Because what he did is he went in and cleansed the outer court of the temple. And these disciples had to have been sitting day after day with Jesus, hearing his teaching, hearing his heart, hearing his love for people, and witnessing a powerful moment in Jesus' ministry when he goes in and he flips over the tables of the money changers and those who sold the sacrifices. Why? did he do that? He did that because the whole system, and again, they built the temple the way God told them to, because what you would have, you would have a huge group of people going up to the temple to worship God. And the outer court that Jesus cleansed was called the court of the Gentiles. Now, who were Gentiles? They were those who were out, right? They were those on the outside. So they were allowed to come with the people of God, the Israelites, into the outer court. And as they came into the outer court, then that was one section. 
And then beyond that section was called the middle place. So you had an outer court, a middle, and then you had a place that was closer to the Holy of Holies. And when all the people came in, if you were a Jewish Israelite family, then you went another step into the the next court. And if you were a man, then you went into the next court that was closest to the Holy of Holies, and you could see the presence of God. You could see the Holy of Holies. You could see that place where God dwelt. And you're here as a man, and behind you would have been all the Israelite children and women. And then beyond that, in other words, it was compartmentalized, or there were walls and gates put up to keep people... And the thing that made Jesus so angry was that these people who had come from a long distance away, probably didn't even speak the language, what they had heard was there's a God in Israel. So what were they doing? They were seeking the truth, but as the Israelites probably walked past them, they were probably giving them the side eye, you don't belong here. You really shouldn't be here. And here's what they heard about the God in Israel. Here's what they heard, Brent. They heard that when you come to this God, you bring Him a sacrifice. Mm -hmm. So, you're a family living in a faraway country. You've heard about the God of Israel. You begin to seek about the truth of the God of Israel. And when you came to His house and you came to His great temple, no, you have to stay out here because you're really not part of what goes on in there. And they, they would hear, okay, I'm supposed to bring a sacrifice. So this little family comes into the outer court and there's all these tables and there's all these, these people selling things and doing things. And this is what made Jesus so angry, in my opinion. What made him so angry is they would come with a $5 bill and they say, well, I'm in a new country, I need to exchange money. And they would give them a $5 bill and they would get four back. Are you hearing me? They would come in with a sacrifice. They'd have this little lamb... And they'd say, we just want to worship God. And they would have, wait, your sacrifice isn't really a sacrifice because of who you are. So they would come with this little lamb and they'd say, well, here's, here's my sacrifice. And they would have somebody on the other side say, that's not good enough. Well, what do I do? Well, here's one for $600 that God would really be pleased with. Do you begin to understand how we can even as a church begin to have the mentality that, well, I'm in and you're out? Well, I'm really close to God and you're really far away from God? I'm I'm really on this path here. And the reason that I want to lay this out now is because as I preach the next few months, you're going to hear things that are going to sound harsh, but they're not harsh, they're truth. And sometimes truth has to offend you before it will change you. But I want you to know that the the heart that we came here to this community with is that we want you... Listen, we we do this. We read headlines about people and we instantly judge, well, they're out or they're in. We read headlines about people and we say, ah, you just probably don't want to come near to God because of this in your life and that in your life. And we compartmentalize. And what the enemy does, and listen to me, it is the enemy... Because the enemy loves to build walls, God loves to break them down. Amen? Amen. 
And why do I say that? Because look at our culture today. The enemy is trying to divide not just the people of God against each other, but this whole culture is trying to divide us from understanding that we are human beings created in the image of God and have worth and value, enough value that God would send His own Son to die on a cross. And we compartmentalize. Well, they're Republican and they're Democrat. Well, they're heterosexual and they're homosexual. Well, they're black and they're white. They're a Gator fan and they're a Buckeye fan. Come on, somebody. (laughs) And in the story of the Good Samaritan that we're going to read right now in Luke chapter 10 is amazing in that you had Jesus teaching And it says, a lawyer stand up, stood up. How do they know he's a lawyer? He was interrupting Jesus. That was funny. Come on. Respectfully stands up, and that was the the culture of the day, especially with rabbis. They did more questions than they did answers. So the same question that he asked, as a teacher of the lawyer just means he was a teacher of the law. He was an expert in Jewish law. And he had the same question. It's amazing that a lot of people you'll run into throughout your work day and throughout your walking around the neighborhood, walking around house to house, just visiting people in our neighborhood. Back when we were in Louisiana, just checking on people. In other words, I wasn't doing it because I got anything out of it. I did it because that's what God's called me to do. And he's called you to reach people. He's called you to value people. So this lawyer stands up and he asks the same question we ask a lot. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus points him to the Shema. It's the most famous. Jews would have had this on the walls. They would have had it on their doorpost. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. Then he goes over into Leviticus, and he says, And love your neighbor as yourself. And this is the question we're going to answer today, the same question that we oftentimes look around us and say, surely that's not somebody I need to speak to. Surely that's not somebody I should reach a hand out to help. The vision of this church, if you come here to visit today, I want you to know that everybody in this community is welcome. You say, Pastor, Pastor, you're going to water down the gospel. It's actually the opposite. Listen to me. It's the opposite because if I'm saying that the gospel doesn't have the power to change people's lives, I say that the gospel doesn't have power at all, and it's a different gospel. The same gospel that changed you is the same gospel that can change somebody you run into later on. Amen? The same power that forgave you of all your sins, and we oftentimes think that an expert in the law, one who who knew the law backwards and forwards, in and out, had said, well, there's surely some kind of a dividing line and some kind of wall up where this person may be one that's my neighbor, but somebody else isn't. So, again, to lay value on you as we move into the rest of the year um, and and the things that we value here at the church. Look at Luke 10, verse 25 today. Behold, 
a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. I just want to say, if you're half dead, not too long, you're going to be full dead. Amen? Amen. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road. Ah. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. And don't miss what Jesus is saying right here. A priest. So he's telling this story. Would you guys be okay if I put this in modern day vocabulary? Would you be all right with that? One day, Jason Hanks was in Gainesville, Florida. And he was at a Florida game. And there were a lot of people tailgating. And this one young man was inebriated. And he went down a dark alley. And he fell in among people who beat him, robbed him. And according to the story, he was basically laying beaten, naked. So he lost his jean shorts. His jersey, and he's laying there beaten and bloody. And I'm there, and I'm asked a question as a pastor, Pastor, who's my neighbor? So I say back to the crowd there, a certain Florida fan went into a dark alley, got beat up, knocked down, left for dead. And over the hill comes Eric, the old ball coach, Steve Spurrier. Dun, da, da, da. And he's walking down the alley. And he passes him by. And you can hear the gasp as the first time Jesus has told this story. Because what? Surely he would help him. Story goes on. Then Tim, Tim Tebow walks over the hill. Come on, somebody. Bum, 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 bum. The Levite. Levites were JV priests. They were. And he walks by and ignores. Something we need to understand about this story is that it was put in such a way that people could not miss what Jesus was saying. And before we get too hard on the priest and the Levite, understand they were coming from Jerusalem 
down to Jericho, which is going up, going down. And this area was known for robbers and thieves and people to hide in the rocks. And when you were making your way down, they would jump out. This was this wouldn't have been a, a story that would not have been. They would have seen people beaten and robbed. They would have experienced this. Maybe a family member had been robbed on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. And the reason we don't need to be so hard on the priest, what we do need to do is evaluate how we look at and treat people because we put compartments of, well, they're in, they're out. Surely God would never save somebody that that ever did this. And surely God would never save somebody who ever thought that. And surely God would never want to reach somebody who lives like this or lives like that, whatever it is. They, the priest in the story was probably coming from being ceremoniously cleansed by offering a red heifer, offering up, and he would have been seven days in Jerusalem and he would have been... So in other words, they weren't allowed to touch anything dead, right? right. So the, the natural thought was, well, we understand this because unclean, unclean, unclean. But can I tell you what Jesus did when somebody would have to go by him unclean? He would touch them and heal them. (laughs) Lepers came to Jesus. He's like, look, I will. In other words, we as the church are so afraid of somehow getting the sin of the world onto us. Come on. And listen, we should live separately. We should live holy. I preach this way and I think people leave and think, man, he probably doesn't even live. No, you would be shocked at our lives probably compared to most. But here's the thing. That is what God has led me to do. It does not keep me from being in the midst of people who need Jesus. It does not keep us from people who, who we can befriend or we can go to. Again, I wasn't worried about somebody driving by and seeing Leah and I at this big carousing party there in our neighborhood. Why? Because, because God knows what I was there doing, right? And again, you're not Jesus, right? And I'm not Jesus. But we are disciples of Christ. Who the world puts headlines about people. The world makes a quick decision on who's in and who's out. And, and make it very clear. I am not trying to pat you on the head and say it's okay to live in sin. Does everybody hear what your pastor's saying? No, no, no. But, but I'll tell you this. I, I, I'll tell you this straight up. If license has, has ruined its hundreds, religion has ruined its thousands. Amen? In other words, it's a religion and it's a, it's a harshness that I've seen come out of people who are believers that really ought to be different. Amen? We should have our eyes on Jesus. We should focus on Him and understand that God has a work for us to do. Because oftentimes we think that we can change people. Can I tell you? It's the Spirit of God that changes people. You want to see change happen in your family? You want to see change happen in your neighborhood? I want to see change happen in this community. And here's what I'm trying to say to you. Is that one of the values of this church is that we're not afraid to get into your life with you and to help you and to speak to you the truth of God's word. And not just speak it to you to beat you over the head with it. Speak it to you because it's the powerful living word of God that has the power to change your life and to lead you into a way everlasting and and see you grow. But oftentimes as the church, we don't give people even the chance to grow. We don't give the people the chance to mature 
into everything God has called them to be. So the value of this church is, is not just worship in the presence of God. One of the main values of this church that we're going to get much more into in the fall, I've already got things planned. We'll be sharing those in the next couple of months. We already have things planned that I want this church to continually keep a focus, a very strong focus on that we are placed here to outreach into our community. One of the other things that's come full circle for Lee and I, and we just rejoiced about this. I mean, we rejoiced because I thought these things would start to happen after a year or two years. How many know sometimes you just got to hold on in faith, continue to preach what God lays on your heart to preach, and God gets all the glory because it's Him that's doing it. We got a call from one. We we got a call from the school system a couple weeks ago. Hey, we don't have anybody to to provide donuts for our teachers when they come back. And we would have already done it if we would known they had a need. But they contacted us. That is a blessing because I want this county to look and say, who's going to help? Christian Center Church. Come on, somebody. I'm telling you. Why is that so important? Because the Lord spoke to me years ago and I went to my pastor and I said, this is what God said. And he said, fix it. That was the freedom that I had. Fix it. I said, okay. So we would go out into our community and we would just give. People would reach in their pocket. We'd have food. We'd have giveaways. We'd have a bottle of water outside Walmart. Here you go. Well, what are you doing this for? We just want you to know God loves you. And you'd see tears begin to just roll down their face. Because we cared. How are people going to know we care unless we just get out there and show them that we care? How are people going to know that there's a good God in heaven except for His people going out and sharing that? And and listen, what God spoke to me in that moment was that the church is the only place, I felt so convicted, where we don't operate by the simple principle of sowing and reaping. We want to see a harvest in our community. I hope everybody that's here that belongs to this church wants to see a harvest of souls. Amen? That's why God put us here. But we don't ever plan anything. So we're not seeing the, the harvest Can I tell you, we are seeing harvest. There are people being healed. There are people being delivered. There are people being set free. There are people coming into the kingdom and they're getting discipled. It is happening right in front of us. And I just came to say that it's because I'm with a group of people that doesn't turn their nose up to somebody that's struggling because I realize I have struggled myself. I've had times of doubt. I've had times of worry. I've had times of stress. I've had times where I didn't know what God was up to. And man, we just go out in the community. We, we'd fix a, a bowl of gumbo just here. What's this for? Let me, let me know. The only stipulation is that it's like God's love. Amen? It's completely free and it's completely available, I'd tell people. And then you'd see them soften. The old adage, people don't know how much, don't care about how much you know until they know how much you care about them. And that is a value of this church that we need to continue to sow. So I'm casting vision for you this morning because as equally as we need to be outreach oriented, we need to be discipleship oriented. Amen? We are to go and make disciples of all nations. Or Let me put it this way. Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Let me, let me, let me take a little liberty and say this morning, our, this house shall be a house of prayer for all categories. Amen. Amen. I don't care if you were a drunkard. This is where you belong. I don't care if you were addicted to drugs. This is where you belong because we know a God that can set you free 
And he whom the Son sets free is free indeed, church. But it starts with sowing something into people's lives. We, we found that about our neighborhood that we were living in. So number one today, if you're taking notes, I thought of three just little things as I end today. We need to work on our focus. Amen? Luke 18 says this, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, <laughs> Jesus told another parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. But be his breast and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. That's simple, yet so powerful. To love people well, take the plank out your own eye before you get to the speck in somebody else's. So one little thing that we can do today to leave here with something that we can grab hold of to do in our own life is understand that if we want to see revival in our community, draw a circle, stand in the middle of it and say, God, cleanse and revive everything inside of this circle. Because it's not our community that's holding back revival. It's the church that's holding back revival, in my opinion. Because if we are going to go and look down our noses at other people, we are not going to see the revival that we want. We need to take the plank out of our own eye before we deal. Listen, if there's a speck, Jesus didn't say don't deal with the speck. He just said make sure there's not something sticking out of your eye. Amen. I hope nobody else has to use this today. You're like this. And you're like, man, look at this person over here. And Jesus is like, Listen, listen, this is something we miss. We miss this. Because here's what I found in my life. I'm, I, I, and I, I, I'm confessing you, to you today because I'm guilty of judging people that I say to myself, there's no way that God could ever reach them. There's no way that God could ever deliver them. There's, they're just too far gone. And I feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit in the moments I have those thoughts of saying, were you too far gone? Because here's what I found out is, listen, God doesn't want you to remove the plank from your own eye so you can beat yourself over the head with it. He's taking the plank out of your eye because God wants to build something so beautiful in your life that it, listen, if if you dealt with the plank of anger before and you're just angry at everything, listen, anger is just misplaced passion. And God will give you a passion against who's really behind everything you see around you. And His name is Satan. And you'll have a holy passion to fight against the forces of evil and darkness, the spiritual principalities in high places, and all the works of the enemy. Because people are not the problem. It's Satan, his demons, and his devil that the church has been given authority over all the power of the enemy. So it's on us to begin to understand. So when I take the plague of anger at everything I see around me going on, and listen, it makes me angry. But let our anger not come out at people. Let it come out to a place where we begin to do something about the condition of our culture and our society. Listen, if that means standing on the truth when all the rest of the culture wants to say, well, I guess it just doesn't matter anymore what you... You want to be a boy one day and a girl next? Baloney. 
We're going to hit those things. But listen, this pastor is not going to hit on those subjects over these next few weeks and months based on something that I look down on them. But for the grace of God, go I. We don't even know what all goes into somebody being deceived by the enemy. Because I was deceived. You were deceived until what? Jesus lovingly came along and put people in your life to speak truth and love. Listen, truth without love is religion. And love without truth doesn't change anybody. Jesus had truth and He had love. And He wasn't afraid to get down into the middle of people's lives that everybody else thought there's no way this tax collector could ever live for God. Listen, He just went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. God wants to anoint a church, but He's not going to do it unless we have the proper compassion for the people we see around us. He's not. That's a key because that's what the Scripture says is when He passed by Him, He had compassion. He had empathy. I'm telling you, I've told the story at least three or four times, but I'm going to tell it again, and I'll probably tell it at least probably 15 more times if the Lord tarries and I continue to pastor here. I'm going to tell this a lot because it was such it was such a shift in my thinking that translated into my theology that translated into how I looked at other people. And the house I just mentioned before, we we loved our house. We you know it wasn't big, but it was ours. Been on the mission field, and Leah had gotten pregnant with our firstborn, Hudson, and we had the same neighbors on both sides up until this point. So for two three years, probably three years after we got married. We lived in this little house. We had the same. We were gone a lot. We had our neighbors were so good to us. They checked on our house. Our family was nearby. They checked on our house. We were gone seventy percent of the year, but we were paying rent. I thought, Leah, that's crazy to pay rent. Let's start to invest in a house. So we did. God provided. And I remember when our good neighbor on this side, we really liked him. Both sides, we really just got along with them well. And they put a for sale sign in their yard, and they were moving out. And we had just finished Hudson's nursery. I'll never forget. It was a little dog, a little Dalmatian with a fire hat on, wasn't it? I, I mean, I can in my mind still see the place I knelt down. It was yellow walls, and it was that, and the crib was up. And I'm looking out the window, and, of course, these houses are from me to you, Tony. <laughs> Literally, you had to do this to get between them, it seemed like, which was nice for me because I had one little strip of grass to mow, and I was happy, happy, happy. <laughs> Don't like mowing grass, y'all. Some of you like it. Cool. My brother, Sean, he loves mowing grass. He's crazy. So I saw the for sale sign, and I'll never forget this. I knelt down right there, and there's a, there's a window, and they were tall windows. I knelt down, and I saw the for sale sign, and I said, Lord, send me the neighbors that you want because, God, I want to reach them. And I put my faith and trust in God. I prayed in faith, so I knew God heard me. And three weeks later, hellions moved in, y'all. <laughs> Drinking and carousing and, and, and just, I'm like, just a couple weeks before this instance, I'm about to tell you, just a couple weeks before that, I went and got some really beautiful Vinca flowers. And we had a little place outside of our kitchen, a little, a little flower bed. And I wanted her to have pretty flowers, and we weren't there that much, so I bought the biggest ones I could. They're the big ones. So it would be an instant flower thing, because I wanted to see them before we left. I knew they wouldn't have time to, when we came back, they would have been beautiful, because we had people helping us take care of them. And I walked out of my house, 
I had planted them, went in, took a shower, washed my hands, was excited for Lee to get home that day and see him, you know, brownie points, amen? Uh-huh. Did some work in the yard, planted some flowers for Leah, and I walk out, and they're gone. Oh, no. Gone. And I'm following the dirt trail up my driveway. <laughs> now I'm looking up the sidewalk, and there's a dirt trail up the sidewalk, and it goes right into my neighbor's house. They had two little kids that they did not watch at all. We used to take them in and feed them, didn't we? They'd be sleeping throughout the day, been partying the night before. And this is a nice neighborhood. I'm like, goodness gracious. I knocked on the door. They apologized. They went. I replanted them, got them back. Just a few weeks later, I'm at church. I'm going to teach on Wednesday night. And I'm going to teach about serving and the love of God. So I prepared this whole sermon all day long. Pulled down my street. Some of you have heard this story. I pulled down my street, and they had this really annoying, horrible habit. Listen, they would put their trash out. And number one, if they forgot to put it out the week before, what does it do? It piles up. And when I say take your trash out, y'all, I'm talking about their trash was here. They had to get it to here for them to pick it up. Six feet to right there at the place on the road. And I pull down my street, and I'm just like, Jesus, we love you. Oh, how we love. And I open my eyes, and there's a, their dog, their dog that had to run out of my yard all the time, Pitbull, had torn up about four big bags of trash. I won't tell you what I even said in that moment, y'all. It's not befitting of a pastor. <laughs> And look, I jumped out of my car, and I began to pick up the trash, and I was slinging it back up at the trash cans. And don't look at me like you all would have done the same thing. They had a baby, baby diapers, torn up all over the front of my house. And as I'm throwing this up there, and remember, I'm teaching that on loving and serving. And I said to the Lord, Lord, you must have been busy the day that I knelt in that room in there and prayed about what kind of neighbors that you, 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 you must, some, were you creating another angelic being that flies around the throne? And the Holy Spirit spoke to me as clearly as I'm standing right here before He spoke in my heart. He said, I gave you exactly who I wanted you to have. Uh Pick up the trash. Uh So I went inside and got got the trash bags and I very carefully, and I pitched it. No, I'm kidding. It was a shift in my entire thinking because we in the church have the mentality, we need to build these walls and protect God's truth. And we do. But let's make sure we do it in a way that the people out there understand that this God loves them. He wants them to have the truth, but he also wants them to understand how much he wants them to be in a relationship with it. And listen to me. My wife can verify as the Lord as my witness. Within three weeks, three, four weeks, it was within a short period of time, I was up in a booth way upstairs most of the time overseeing things, administrating, running things. And I'm up there, and there's these big windows, and it's enclosed. It's where our computers and stuff for the lighting and the stuff for the over, all the stuff. 
So there's a bunch of computers, and I had two or three volunteers in there. I'm just standing in the middle, and it's altar call time. And I'm looking down at the people coming to the altar. I'm getting ready to go down and pray with people at the end of service for the altar call. And I look down, and I couldn't believe my eyes. It was my neighbors at the altar with their two kids. I texted Leah, and I said, is that our neighbors? Is that our neighbors? When he walked by, the Samaritan, that all the Jews that are listening to Jesus' teaching are thinking, nothing good can come out of Samaria. They don't believe like we do. They don't dress like we do. They're not even allowed in the temple. They're not even allowed to come near God's house. It says, He's the one that had compassion. So not only do we need to refocus on that, we need to refocus and enliven our empathy for people that we see. Amen? Our focus should be on compassion and empathy, right? Compassion just means that. It means... And what happens to us as believers? Listen to me for just a second. I'm almost done. What happens is it's it's a study that a Christian scientist did, a sociologist, a doctor. She did this study. And she tracked Christians who are incessantly on social media all the time. Take your shoes off. I'm about to step on your foot. Listen, it's a proven, bless you, unless that was something else. Come out, Jesus. It's a proven fact, scientifically, that the more time that Christians spend on social media, their empathy goes down. You may have grown up like this. Maybe you did, maybe you didn't. Before we all became really chickens. (laughs) Look, I grew up in the 80s, y'all. Some of you grew up before that. It was like your parents were like, yeah, make sure you're home before dark. Uh We're like in in the... we're. We're like, we had a garbage dump about six blocks from where we lived, and we're like playing in the trash. And <laughs> Mom, we found a dead hobo. Just don't bring him home. You know? Have fun. Before we became sissies, I'm telling you the truth, before we became sissies, we, back at the church I was at, we every year, I worked with the youth pastor, and we did a big youth camp out. And it was a, a boys' camp out. I think it's important for us men to be with our young men to teach them how to be men. Amen? Yes. And for us to teach them how to be men, we play paintball. Oh, yeah. And year after we did this, this was probably the fifth or sixth year that we had done this. And it had grown to the point where we had 60 young men and about 20 to 30 adults. So it was adults against kids. And it was so funny to watch those kids. We camped, and the next morning we would cook them a big breakfast. We'd eat the night before. We'd cook them a big breakfast. We'd eat, and then we'd gear up, and we would go out and shoot each other with paintballs. Mask on. We did it safely, semi-safely. But it was so funny to see those kids walk out of their tents because they had 12 layers of clothes on. They're like waddling out. You're not going to hurt me this year, Mr. Jason. I'm like, oh, yeah? I got the fully automatic double deluxe paintball. I mean, Leah, am I right? Did I not go and buy them both? These kids couldn't buy $400 paint guns. I could. 
They're like, oh, little Timmy, are you going to shoot him when he comes around? Yes! Because little Timmy's going to light me up if I don't light him up. But let me hit you with the truth right now. The more pain, the more layers we start to put on. Are you hearing, Pastor? And we as Christians, when we're on social media and we get angry, there's another little layer where when we run into somebody that may think, not think like us, look like us, dress like us, the outsiders. Mm-hmm. Where we're supposed to deal with love and empathy and sow a seed that God loves you and He has a purpose and plan far more than what you're living right now. We also had a little thing when I grew up and it was called BB gum wars. Come on, somebody. <laughs> If you ever see a little scar, a little hole in the side of my head, it was a BB gum war. It's right here. I've got the proof. Because we had a one pump rule. <laughs> yeah. I'd secretly be behind the tree. Because they had done it. No mass, no anything else. Here's what I found about people. The more pressure, the more pain that's inflicted when it comes out. Are you hearing, Pastor? We're not empathetic anymore because we put layers of anger and insult and everything. That's the enemy. To have true compassion, you just have to see people. Again, this works into your theology. Lee and I were having a long discussion here recently. Again, I don't want to go into too much detail, but she was like, why, why, why are they so mean? And I said, Lee, it's their theology. But then I pull up Facebook and I see theology that you guys repost that I'm like, be careful, because if your whole theological bend is that God chose some people for heaven and He chose some people for hell, and that's just the way it is, so those people that I'm not going to go talk to them because I'm sure they're right straight to God died for the world. Does it mean the entire world is going to be saved? No. Does it mean we are to do the work of the evangelists saying yeah. the good news? Yeah. It's called good news. You don't have to live in your sin and your junk and your... Because I guarantee you, the people that look the happiest are probably the ones that aren't the happiest. So as we focus, again, in the values of this church, I want you to know that you don't have to look at somebody and say, man, they really wouldn't fit in a Christian center church. Because, yes, they would. Because I have never been attending, 26 years walking with the Lord, I've always gone to that church. (laughs) You guys have never had this? Oh, you go to that church? That, I've always gone to that church. I don't even know what they mean. I'm like, you mean the one that wants to see people saved, healed, delivered, and walking in freedom? Yes, I go to that church. Again, that happened to me just a few, just a few, maybe two months after I moved here. I was up in Crystal River. I was getting my car washed, and I'm winding down. Kind of. I was up there getting my car washed, and it was going through the thing, and it was just me and another older lady in there, and I, I didn't feel like talking. Is that okay? Yeah. I was not being empathetic. I didn't want anybody bugging me. Right. She refused not to bug me. <laughs> well, what are you doing here? Well, I'm getting my car washed. Here's your sign. No. <laughs> yeah, you're getting Oh, yeah. Have you lived here long? No, ma'am, just a few weeks. Oh. Well, what do you do? And I'm like, oh. I'm a a pastor. Oh. What church? I said, Christian Center Church in Homosassa. And she goes, oh. (laughs) Well, that got me. I'm like, oh, what what does oh mean? 
And I've heard this since I've been here. I've literally heard it from people that you talk to out in the community. Oh, that church. That's just the, it's just the grace church. They don't really have any real doctrine. Listen, I'm going to lay some doctrine on you these next few months. It's going to blow your mind. Because it's, here, any doctrine that I hold that does not reflect in my obedience and reflect in the way I treat people isn't doctrine at all. We want orthodoxy, but I want orthopraxy. Orthopraxy is the living out of the doctrines that you say you hold dear. So as we teach on this, I want it to translate. And Lee and I were talking, and we're like, why is this group so mean? I said, Lee, it's their theology. When you literally teach people for decades and decades and decades, you're nothing but an old worm that God would barely even want to step over. That is not who God is. He showed us this all the time, all throughout Scriptures. You have so much worth to Him. Stand with me this morning. Jacob and Alexis, if you guys are come. Thank you, Lord. So learn to feel empathy and compassion. And everybody say, follow through. Because we should be people of follow-through. Amen? Not just empathetic, not just reaching out. We should be people that are known that we follow all the way through. And what I mean by that is we're going to have people come in here, and they already have. But my point this morning is the conversation I had just a couple weeks ago, the person looking at me with tears in their eyes. And I don't even, listen, I don't even point to myself. I'm pointing at you as this church You have loved on people where they don't want to give up on their relationship with God. They don't want to go back to the drugs and alcohol. Does that mean it's been 100% successful? Absolutely not. We obey and we leave the results to God. But I want this community to know that it doesn't matter what you did last night. I want you in church on Sunday morning. Why? Because God will begin to... I'm, I'm only here. I'm not here to force anything on you. I'm here to change your affections. I thought of so many people, so many people, that even when they first came here five, five, five and a half years ago, eh, I have more of this background. I think maybe I need... And then they just opened themselves up to the person of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to be teaching on the Holy Spirit of these next few months and how important our relationship with Him is. So incredibly important. You need Him. <laughs> you need the Holy Spirit. We need Him. You say, ah, we've lost more people because they come in and they, love, they, they, they feel connected to this church. And then they'll hear me pray in tongues and they're like, oh, whoa, hey, whoa. And I'm not doing it as a showy thing. I'm doing it because the Spirit of God's moving, which is in order because I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to Him. Yeah. I'm not talking about the gift of tongues in translation. It's happened here many times. But people hear that and they're just like, well, that's kind of weird. Do you know how weird you are for being in church, worshiping a God you've never seen to begin with? Come on, somebody. Why not just go whole hog and really get into this thing called real Christianity? And it's called being filled with the Holy Spirit. And you want to know what being filled with the Holy Spirit is? It's not about how high you jump and how loud you shout and how if, if God chooses to give you the gift of, of praying in tongues. And this is how I put it. People are like, do I have to do that? No, I, you get to do that. You hear me? It's a baptism of love. 
you'll go out into the community and you see people differently because you are flowing in the love of God. When he told the lawyer, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, he wasn't giving him a formula. He was inviting him into a relationship with the triune God who loves each other perfectly because they're so in love, they're one. It's the mystery of the Godhead. And it's an invitation into that relationship that flows into our lives or should be. If what is flowing out of you is disgruntledness and, you know, I'm worried about this and worried about the drag. Come on. We can't change necessarily the United States of America, but we can change homeless of Florida. So as we present these things to you over these next few weeks and months, I encourage you, don't be like, well, somebody else is going to go out and clean windshields, or somebody else is going to go clean up the park, somebody else is going to go hand out gumbo, somebody else is going to go put a, put a deck on, on somebody's little front yard that needs it. We are going to get out into our community because it's why God sent me here. Amen. And he's reminding me more and more, Jason, don't get discouraged and don't lose heart. You shall reap. If you, and I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it. Amen. Bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to end with this and we'll pray together. We'll do our blessing. If you guys can be ready there in the back, we'll do our blessing here in just a moment. But I want to ask this question because you may have just visited here for the first time and you don't have a relationship with God. Can I tell you his invitation is to come, to repent of your sin, to put your faith in him and be washed clean from that sin and put in right relationship with God. God came from heaven to earth. And he died on a cross. He sent his son to die on a cross so that you could be reconciled back to him. Does anybody here say, I want to commit my life to Christ today? Just shoot up your hand right there where you are. Right there where you are. Praise God. We're all believers. Look back this way. So let's celebrate God's goodness right now. Let's celebrate the fact that we're saved. And listen, we're saved for a purpose this morning. So as you go out from here, remember, whoever you run into... God loves them. God wants to see them back into proper relationship. God wants to see them off the, the wide path of destruction and put on the path of life. Amen? Amen? And you guys give me a lot of grace over these next few months as I tackle some very difficult subjects of what's going on in our culture. Because if you think that I don't have an opinion, you're wrong. But I don't want to bring my opinions to the pulpit. I want to bring the Word of God to the pulpit. And what he's speaking to his church. And if we do not have the foundation of love with what we say, then we are a sounding cymbal and a clanging bong. That's it. If we don't have love. So, Father, fill us with your love today, God. Fill us with the Holy Spirit that overflows us and comes out with empathy, compassion, concern, and care for those who we run into. Remind us today, Holy Spirit, that there's nobody that we'll run into that is too far gone to be redeemed, that is too far lost not to be found by the good shepherd who leaves the 919 to go after the one. Jesus, I thank you that you came after me. I thank you that you convicted me of my sin and the way I was living and that I turn my life completely over to you. God, all the seeds that have been sown into this area and community over decades, God, we pray a mighty harvest of souls in Jesus' name today, Father. God, we will be obedient and we'll leave the results up to you, God, because we trust you, we love you, and we praise you, God, in Jesus' name. Let's read our blessing today together. I am blessed. I am blessed blessed going in. And I am blessed going out. 
I'm blessed in the bowl. And I'm blessed in the field. I'm blessed in the city. And I'm blessed in the country. My family is blessed. My home is blessed. Everything I put my hand to is blessed. Everywhere I put my foot down is blessed. Those that bless me are blessed. And I am a blessing. Amen. Go in the name of the Lord and be blessed. One more quick thing before you dismiss. I was talking to our precious sister, Destiny. Her husband, Carl Ritchie, is stationed over in Poland. He's got about six more months. Here coming up, I'm going to put a list at the information counter, and we're going to bombard him with blessings and let this church know that we love him. Pray for him, but we're going to put together some care packages for his platoon. Does that sound good? Amen. Amen. Keep your ear out for that.